0: Hello and welcome to the Feeling Bookish Podcast. I'm Robert Fay and we'll be joined a little bit later uh, in the podcast by Roman Sivka. So we're going to be looking at uh, a Czech writer, uh, Bohumil Prabal, and he was born in 1914 in the, what was then the uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire and he lived until 1997. He was 82 when he died and at that time of course he died in the Czech Republic. So uh, he was able to live through, you know, quite a span of Czech and Czechoslovak history. Um, and, uh, we'll do things a little bit differently on the podcast this week, mostly out of necessity. Um, my audio during our recording kind of dropped out during the first, I don't know, 40% of the recording. So you'll just be hearing from Roman, uh, to start, I'll be joining, uh, later, um, but I think, you know, you'll really enjoy his uh, overview of, of Czech literature and where this book fits in. And also he kind of sets up uh, some background about Hribal. Um And really all you need to know is um, uh, the book is called, that we'll be looking at is called I Served the King of England. Um, and it was published in 1975, although it uh, originally appeared in a dot version in 1971. It uh, was passed passed around through the, the underground there for a bit. Um, and it follows uh, a very simple character named Didi, who um, as an adolescent starts working at a hotel uh, and kind of works his way through hotels and, and tries to work his way up. Uh, both um, in his life and, and also through uh, a tumultuous period in European history through the 30s and 40s uh, with the war. So again, we'll be looking at the novel I Served the King of England, and uh, we'll let uh, Roman
1: Sivkin take it away here. Czech literature um, definitely has a rich history. We can also break it down to you know the German-speaking Czechs like Kafka and Rilke, and you know people like Rabal and Kundera who uh, who wrote in Czech, um, but just to give uh, give kind of a background of, of Czech literature and where, where Rabal fits in, um, you know there was a kind of a let's just go back to the nineteenth century. There was a Czech national revival movement, um, and there was a, a influence from the New romantic literary movement of the of Western Europe. Um, at the same time, there was kind of a descriptive, you know, pragmatic approach uh, to literature that gave people more of a political awareness. Um, and then, of course, um, a major influence on Rabal, um, the good soldier Shveik, um by Hasek, Jaroslav uh, Hasek, um, which is kind of a, almost like a a Czech national book or something. I don't know exactly what they call it. It's very, very influential. Uh, the good, the good soldier Schweik is, by the way, is so worth reading. I, I can't recommend this book enough. Um, it kind of mocks authority, especially the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And it's, it's the the, the good soldier Schweik is this very simple guy who kind of bumbles and stumbles his way through life, but always seems to outwit the authorities uh, with no, you know, nothing major like any, any kind of brain schemes or any any smart schemes. Just, just by being this kind of innocent, uh, not so innocent perhaps, but definitely kind of, you know, a stupid kind of guy, basically. Uh, so we, again, we have, we have this very strong kind of Czech literary vein, and then we have the German, uh, Czechs, like Kafka and Rilke, so a very strong German literary tradition. And why, why do I love the Czechs so much in, in general, the Czech society and, and culture? Because Hashek was, he was described as having the taste and habits of a hobo or a beatnik, and his main occupation, you know, in his life, were writing and vagrancy. <laughs> and, and you know, speaking of beatniks, by the way, I mean, Hrabal was was loved the beatniks. He loved Kerouac uh, on the road. He read. And it was he was very, very. He kept renewing himself. And you know, you mentioned he was born in nineteen fourteen, and uh, you know, he he actually studied law before the war, um, and then. Stopped studying because the you know the war. Then actually got his degree, his law degree. He never practiced uh, after the war, um, but he he's definitely uh, you know he started as a poet and very quickly became a prose writer. And then he kept on being influenced by by all the things he was reading and absorbing, even in in you know the relatively closed off um, communist Czechoslovakia. Um, and I was very surprised to learn that he was really into the beats. Uh, there's a wonderful book. Uh, it's actually it's called a, a novel interview book uh, or an interview novel book. <laughs> it's called Pirouettes and a Postage Stamp. It's basically a bunch of interviews with Rabal, but it's it reads like a novel. Well, first of all, let's, let's, let's look at the interesting publishing history, right? Um, look, there's, there's a bunch of people like Kundera, uh, Skwarecki... Uh, you know, these, these Czech intellectuals, writers, who just left. They left during communism because they just couldn't take the shit. Um, but Hrbald stayed, and, and he stayed, and act- he got a lot of flack for that from certain people. But basically, this, this book was written, The King, I Serve the King of England, was written during his what's called his silent period, because he was basically silenced by um, you know, um, communist censors. Um, and he, but of course he couldn't be silenced because he's one of those people who just, um, his humanity is just outsized. It's just so big. He's He's got a huge heart and he just couldn't be silenced. And he wrote this book, Rob, I just found out literally about tw- two hours ago, in 18 days during the summer. In 18 days, he wrote this book in a very Kerouac-like fashion. He basically... Wrote, you know, first word is best word type of deal. Um, so he just, he just, it just poured out of him. The translator, Wilson put the paragraph breaks in there because he wrote, um, Rabal wrote uh, basically, it's, you know, the book is in six chapters, right? They're short stories in basically chronological order. But each chapter in the original check is one long paragraph, there you are know, no uh, paragraph breaks. So the, the translator, maybe because of the publisher pressure or something like that, uh, really did a number on this because it's really a more experimental work than we, we see in English. Um, and in, ge- in general, I was going to say, just Herbal is very experimental, but yet so readable. I mean, he's got this book that's just one long sentence. Um, his autobiography in three volumes is, is almost like Stream of Consciousness. But again, so readable and so relatable. It's not like you're reading some difficult, experimental, you know, avant-garde work. Um, at the time, he was avant-garde, but it's, it's still very readable. But speaking of all these words, man, speaking of all this this torrent of words, I mean, this is part of uh, Rabal's method. Um, it's 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 been widely sort of talked about in relation to Rabal, his method of writing uh, or his approach sort of to writing. And in fact, he... He's very concerned about that. There's 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 a word in English that people apply to his style of writing, palaver or pala palaver. Uh, pa- pal- palaver, I guess, is the way you pronounce it. Is sort of this, you know, this free uh, free association, kind of idle talk that you you know pub talk. And you hear people around you talking and just drinking beer, and of course that was one of Rabal's favorite things to do. Is uh, go to pubs, drink a lot of beer, and listen to people talk, and he would just it, uh, absorb it all, and and it will come out in his fiction. So he makes a distinction between uh, in Czech, and pardon my expression, I mean my my act, I mean I don't know how to pronounce Czech words, so pardon my pronunciation. There's the the writer or spisovatel uh, versus zapisovatel, who's a, like a more like a stenographer, or recorder, and And Rabal considers himself more of a recorder than a writer. And here's, I have a really interesting quote here from Rabal. Um, He talks about Palaver or being more of a recorder, not a writer. He goes, uh, this is my modus vivendi, my heart's status quo. This is my means of thinking and especially writing because I'm a writer. And being just a little ashamed of this calling, (laughs) I constantly say to myself that I am a recorder. I am more of a literary reporter, and also a lover of mystification. This is my pabeni or palaver. Palaver. This is my defense against politics. This is actually my politics, my mode of writing. So this is a very important sort of uh, way of of getting into Rabalov, understanding him. He is not writing out of some sort of um, you know, inner desire to ex- express himself. He's writing out of this this enormous uh, love of the world and of people, the people in the world that he 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 meets, both good and bad, and all you know, all, all shades in between. Uh, like I said in the beginning, uh, this is a writer with an enormous heart, which is why I urge you to read this book and I urge you to stick with it till the end, because you can really see this enormous humanity and warmth. And universality of of Rabal, uh, almost unlike any other author that I've read. And I I kind of I tend to gravitate towards authors like that who have an, this deep deep humanity, as opposed to just this a way of a way with words, so to speak. You know, uh, like Nabokov, for instance. Again, I'm going to be slamming Nabokov, so pardon Nabokov lovers. But Nabokov, uh, of course, was a, a deeply human being. You know, humanistic human being, I should say. But he doesn't have this. This doesn't have this warmth. He doesn't have this this boundless openness to others and to experiences. And he was way too much in his head. Hrabal um, is, is is definitely in his heart. His his head is in his heart, so to speak. Um, you know, he's got this incredible humanity. There's there's Nazis in this book that are human. Um, there's bad people that are human. There's good people who do bad things, but you know, they're still human. Um, the humanity of 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 his writing really strikes me as uh, sort of being being at the at the top of the list. But he's also he's also an opportunist. I mean, he's also look. The book starts with him being a a lowly busboy, but he's he's got these stars in his eyes. He he sells hot dogs on the train station, and he he takes his time making change when people give him a big bill, and he takes his time making change until the train starts leaving, and so he can't give him the change. So he. He starts making some money. He loses virginity in a very sweet kind of way uh, to a prostitute in the, in a in a whorehouse um, but again, in a very sweet way, but he 's always' he's always looking for the next things like how can I be the you know a, a waiter so then he becomes a waiter, but wait, he wants to become the head waiter because he really respects all the head waiters that he serves under in fact, one of the head waiters that he serves under tells him that he served the king of England so so the protagonist Diddy, has enormous respect for this guy now. And he's like, so whenever they make bets about, you know, what kind of, you know, when a guest walks into the hotel, what would a guest order? And this head writer is always right. And, and DT always loses. Uh, And when he asks the head writer, like, how did you know? And the head writer goes, it's because I served the King of England. (laughs) You know, so he, uh, he, he continues and is, uh, and is kind of this, this uh, almost like a, I don't know, he's very ambitious. He's very, very ambitious, but at the same time, a simple soul. Um, so he does become a head waiter. He does end up becoming very, very wealthy. I guess we don't want to really give away too much of the plot because it's so enjoyable to find out as you read. Um, he ends up owning a hotel and then losing it to, because the communists take over. And, and he actually gets all annoyed that he he's not arrested like all the other millionaires. So he goes to the police station, and he says, "Look, I'm a billionaire. I have all this money. Please arrest me like the other ones." And he does. And he does come to. He does come to serve sort of, some sort of a, a moral reckoning at the end of the book, which is why I, I urge you to read till the end because the end really ties, like you said, it perfectly. The last ten percent of the book really ties it up and, and puts in this very humanistic perspective of of just surviving and, and, and people are people, you know, whatever regime is happens to be in power. Uh, and of course, the animals. I really want to mention the animals uh, because this is something that was very important for Rabal as a man, not just as a writer. Um, there's a, it's a bit of a sad story about his end. I mean, he was very much in pain at the end of his life. He had arthritis. There's a wonderful video you can look up on YouTube of him feeding cats, he, he goes to the store, the, you know the the butchers, and he buys a bunch of you know, meats and delicacies, and then he, he hobbles over. You can see how painful it is for him just to walk. He hobbles over to his cottage, and he feeds all these stray cats. Um, and, of course, in the book, uh, I Serve the King of England, the one we're talking about, the ending, the animals are extraordinarily important there. The, the way he deals with them, the way they sort of relate to him, I think it all... You know the people have kind of receded from his life all the all the um, the the upheavals and the turmoil and the people he was surrounded with and the head waiters and his german Nazi wife and the kid they had together that kept driving crazy by banging the nails into the floor all the all the sort of the noise of the twentieth century kind of recedes at the end and he retreats into this little cottage uh and he just basically mends roads that's his job. Uh, and he has such philosophical musings uh, at the end that are just so wonderful um, about death and life. And again, from a simpleton's perspective, but having read what, we, what we've just read, uh, you know, his life, you can sort of see where he's coming from at this point. Um, well, remember, the beginning in the, towards the beginning of the book, uh, there's the poet, uh, Tokel, I believe his name is, who uh, self-publishes a book of his poems called The Life of Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he imagines you know paving the streets of, of Prague with all of these copies, which of course he ends up not selling at all, and he has to give back to the publisher. Um, and and I remember reading this, uh, Didi at one point uh, thinks about this poet that he, that he sees in the hotel when he's where, where he's a waiter. And he, he says, I, I imagine this must be really wonderful to walk, uh, you know, the paved street, you know, the, on the paving stones of Prague and to see your name in every stone, um, which which is interesting because Rabal is really um, in Czech, in the Czech, I guess they just call it Czech nowadays, not the Czech Republic, but in Czech he is known, he is very, very well known. He's probably the most popular writer of the 20th century. In the Czech language, um, we don't know much about him here, but he is extraordinarily popular over there. I mean, he's a national hero type of deal, you know. Um, so his name, in the way, is all over Prague. He he sort of prophesied a little bit, even though when he wrote this book in 1971, it wasn't published until 75 in Samizdat editions. So, uh, Robin, you know, you kind of alluded to the fact that um, at the end
0: of the book, um, there's of this co- collection of great wisdom that kind of comes from this character. And I, and I don't think I'm giving anything away just to give the reader a taste of, of the musings that he has while he's this um, uh, kind of road repairer <laughs> deep in the woods. Um, and I should point out that these kind of observations you do not get in the first 80% of the book. So there's a kind of accumulated wisdom that this character gets through his journey through you know, Europe's you know mid-century nightmare and so he's um he he frequents a pub uh occasionally to relieve himself from the boredom of of living in that uh road repairs lodge or you know Mm -hmm. hut and he says um, as a matter of fact whenever i was in the pub i realized that the basic thing in life is questioning death Mm -hmm. wanting to know how we'll act when our time comes and that death, or rather, this questioning of death, is a conversation that takes place between infinity and eternity. And how we deal with our own death is the beginning of what is beautiful, because the absurd thing in our lives, which always end before we want them to, anyways, fill us when we contemplate death with bitterness and therefore with beauty. So, like, wow, you know, let's 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 uh, write a yeah uh, a sm- a small book of criticism about that passage well i'll tell
1: you the that that uh, that novel interview interview novel thing that i mentioned earlier which is you know for people who will really like Rabal, it's it's one of those you know not, not, not many translations are available so just grab this book if you find it it's a wonderful title pirouettes and a postage stamp um but in this in this uh some of this Interviews. He mentions a lot. He talks about Kafka a lot, and how Kafka at one point contemplated jumping from the fifth window of his apartment, you know, suicide. Um, and how um, uh, Rilke, one of Rilke's heroes in Rilke's only novel also, uh, you know, contemplates actually maybe even jumps from the fifth window and commits suicide. So maybe he just thinks about it. I'm not sure. But what happens uh, th- at the end of this book is is very kind of sad, uh, and and it just gave me almost a little bit, the, not the willies, but gave me just this, this existential uh, sadness, just this very basic sadness. And the way Herbal himself died is, is, is kind of similar in a way because he either jumped or fell out of a fifth-story window in a Prague hospital where he was trying to feed the pigeons. And, of course, because he writes so much out of yeah, for, uh, about uh, suicide and about doing it from, by jumping from the fifth floor, like many of his heroes uh, either he, contemplated have actually done. He actually does it. I think. I mean, it's still not clear whether it was suicide or an accident. But come on, it's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, you know, on purpose that he's done this. That he jumped from the fifth window again. He was in so much pain. He was very, very old. Um, I, I don't. Regret him at all? Uh, th- this act? It's just—it's just interesting that he—he he jumps from the fifth floor, like many of his heroes have uh, either contemplated or have done. Um, and it—it's such a uh, not a bittersweet ending. Of course, it's just a bitter ending. But again, he was trying to feed the pigeons when he died. You know, again, the animals. So, so, Ditte, d- d- the the protagonist of this book, which, by the way, means child in Czech. Ditya uh, in, in Russian, also very close. So it's a childlike character who's actually named Child. <laughs> you know? But um, this this kind of childlike innocence, uh, again, the distinction be- between being childlike and childish is very subtle. But the protagonist here in I Serve the King of England, and I believe Hrabal himself, was very much childlike. It's this kind of elemental creature who enjoyed himself. Regardless of the whatever political crazy political regime it was under, he just enjoyed life uh, in a very childlike way, and you know, uh, even childlike people have to face death at one point, or at least the idea of death when they're alive, and uh, he certainly has done it very, very commendably in this book, and I think in his own life too. Um,
0: yeah, and, and you, you know, you made the point earlier that. Um this is You were talking about his um, his approach to writing novels and, and the fact that he used to frequent bars and, and almost would just have his ears open to kind of pull in everything around him. And to me, the distinction of, of being a great artist is just as you alluded to, this, it's, this isn't about his personal experience of life. Of course, his humanity is, is into it, but he has elevated uh, this to almost the mythological level. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, he he's connected it to the stars, to the to the human story, um, that I think separates one writer from another or, or one Oh it's a huge gap. It's a huge it's a huge gap yes. between
1: between creators. Absolutely. There's there's those who do their best and sort of tell stories about people and but but to make it universal, to make it sort of boundless or at least point towards the boundless. That's yeah. <laughs> that's that's a true artist, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've actually been thinking a lot about it. Um, uh, I'll have a this week. I'll have a uh, a piece out in Three Quarts Daily and thinking precisely about that. And like, you know what what makes a book like The Great Gatsby? I mean, you know, maybe you were forced to read that in you know seventh grade or something. But I encourage anyone. Like, the next time you're in a bookstore, just pick up The Great Gatsby and start flipping through the first three pages. And it just feels like. This book was ordained from heaven, or something. So, mm-hmm. so what is it, um, you know, that allows a writer to to push beyond his own personal experience and, and connect to, um, you know, the muse, I suppose. And and I was skeptical that Mister Harabal. I, I was thinking, well, you know, I know Roman has always been a fan, and I, you know, honestly, I'd really never heard of him until you introduced him to me, and I thought, well, you know, maybe he's going to fade as um uh, an important czech literary figure but the rest of the world will soon forget about him or maybe has forgotten about him but i i get it by pushing through this book um and uh i, I hope that he's able to because uh, as you talked about czech literature is is vast but i think so few americans know about it i mean another author i'll throw out there which i, I know that you know about it, is carol chapik the, yeah. uh, yeah. the science fiction chapter the science fiction writer um his name should be mentioned along with uh, Ray Bradbury and Asimov and, and these people.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, he he's the one who came up with the word, you know, robot, uh, which I know in Russian, robota means work. And I'm sure in Czech it means the same thing. So it's somebody who does you new know, work, robot. But it's its a Czech word. Um, but yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, like you were saying about the species you're writing for Three Quarks Daily, which, by the way, I don't think if I've ever on air at least of congratulate you on being a columnist for three Q D. That's a wonderful thing. Congratulations Thanks, to that man. That's just it. really yes, wonderful. Yes. Um But but yeah, I mean Rabal is definitely I, again I, I go back to his his humanism and his or his humanism is really a kind of a blanket term which, you know, it doesn't mean much. It just to me it implies a lot of things, like you know, free thinking, uh, believing in the sort of the the, the human heart. Um, and he, he really had all of those elements. Um, I don't want, I don't want our listeners to think that because you're, you're saying like you, you made it through the book, like it's a hard book to read. It's not hard to read, right? It's not, uh, it's not Finnegan's Wake. It's not, uh, uh, you know, Arnold Schmidt or anything like that. It's, 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 um, very readable and it's a, it's a doozy of a story. Wouldn't you say so? I mean, it's, like you, like yes, comparing I, it to this, the good soldier Schweik, I mean it's it's just like one crazy event after another, and it's funny and it's sad and it's 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 sort of like the side view of history of European history during the 20th century, uh, but it gives you this panoramic view of it. From, but again, it's from the side, it's from the simpleton's perspective. Um, yes,
0: and 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 you know to to kind of answer your your question there, I think um, to, we'll just throw Nabokov under the bus again. He, he mm. said that writing is, uh, style and structure or style and form and ideas are hogwash. And I understand what he's saying. And, 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 but I, I do look for ideas, assuming the form and the style are interesting. And I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't getting any. I, I, and I think, um, uh, initially right, because like it's an good.
1: adventure story. It's an adventure story in the beginning. Yes. It begins as beginning. an adventure story. It's like this this guy's life. He's all excited about. He's a young kid who's very short, by the way. He looks like a kid. His name you know his name is basically means kid or child. So it's it's just a kind of a, a straightforward Romana Cleft type a deal. You know, he he we don't really know much about what happened be, to him before. He I think he mentions his parents just once. So we start yeah. the story with him being a busboy, and he just continues his career throughout the book it's kind of and, his career
0: and, and I thought we were gonna kind of remain um, within the world of, of mm, hotels right and, and honestly the first 30 pages or so I, I I kept thinking like oh this is sort of a literary faulty towers because do, <laughs> do, do you remember like uh, faulty towers would always have some like aging British like military officer oh yeah you know, the, the colonel right. yeah the
1: colonel is yeah 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 he's, yeah it uh, is a regular and, character. you know
0: there is a kind of you know goofy element to what what goes on. You know, there's these wonderful scenes where you know these industrialists show up and they have all these prostitutes and it's like you know sex and champagne all night. And then in the morning, they're all in this like convertible and and like with champagne glasses and they're driving back to Prague. You know, the women but, and but, the generals. And but
1: notice Rob, notice Rob that uh, that uh, this being a checkbook and the Czechs being such literary people. What do these industrials do with their with their poet friends at night while they're drinking and, and, and whoring? They talk about literature.
0: Have sure, you noticed yeah. all the
1: mention of the literature talk? There's there's people mentioning Shakespeare. There's there's these salons at night that people argue about literature and you know throw things and get really passionate. I mean, the, the literature plays a major role in this book in a way. Um, oh, uh, un-
0: undoubtedly, when, right? when he is when he's released from prison. His first assignment is to uh, go to a logging brigade, and he's assigned, he works with a, a former French literary professor and his daughter, and they mm-hmm. live in this, like, logging hut at night with nothing to do. And, and of course, this, this retired or forced to retired professor, he lectures the two of them at night on, you know, 19th century French literature and uh, aesthetics and ethics and, you know, French grammar lessons. Um, it's quite lovely.
1: Well, uh, Rabal himself was very, very well read. Uh, A a book that I really recommend people uh, read if they like I Serve the King of England uh, is Too Loud a Solitude. It's a very, it's a small, it's a novella, really. It's not a novel. Uh, It's just a a deeply moving uh, account of a person's relationship to books and to reading. And... In particular context of censorship of what you can and cannot read, basically Too Loud of Solitude is this, you know, he, the protagonist is, uh, it's very autobiographical because the protagonist works at this uh, uh, paper compacting plant where he, uh, you know, a bunch of paper gets shredded and compacted. And Rabal himself worked in a similar, in a similar um, uh, setting. Um, and so as he basically, as the regime, you know, the communists get rid of all these books, all these banned books, he has the job of destroying them. But of course he, he saves as many books as he can. He stacks them above his bed at night and he has these nightmares they are going to you know, fall on him in the middle of the night and crush him. But at the same time he reads them, he absorbs Hegel and Kant and all these, all these novels and, and he's just in love with it. And at the same time he has to destroy it. Um, I so highly recommend people read this book too loud of solitude uh it's short, probably spend about a day or two on it, but it's deeply deeply moving uh and will really give you a more of an essence of Rabal. this now sort of the king of England is more of a sort of external herbal too loud of solitude is more internal herbal um but both gonna kind of give you a really good sense of the man and unlike with some authors that I do admire, I I really, I admire the man more than the writer in Hrabal. Of course I admire the writer, because, you know, obviously that's all I have to go on, is his writing. But I don't know if, it's hard to describe in words, like for, for instance with Gaddis, William Gaddis, what a masterful, brilliant writer, but it's the man, those those the, the deep humanity behind all those books that I admire so much, which again, I'm missing from people like Nabokov, you know what I mean? Um... Uh, yeah, e- and it... e- and even like, and even um, Pynchon, let's take Pynchon, for example, another ex- you know, experimental writer, and a lot of people have, have called Rabal a magical realist, which I disagree with strongly. Uh, he's got those elements, but he's not in that camp. But like, Pynchon was like more like a, you know, uh, what, what people call is, you know, uh, uh, not magical realism, but historical realism, right? Historical realism. Uh, and so wonderful ideas, and of course, Pinchin has a lot of humanity, but it's I get not as deep as this guy, not as deep as Gaddis. For some reason, I feel that way. Obviously, it's a it's a personal opinion. Um, yeah, and and it's funny. I mean, I
0: I I know you pretty well, and and I absolutely see it. I I see the two of you. He's earthy. Uh, I see the two of you in a pub in mm-hmm. Prague. Yes. Um. You, you'd probably start smoking again, somewhat reluctantly. <laughs> but you, yeah, I, I I I totally get that. I I suppose for me, my my sort of. Uh, I can imagine myself getting on quite well with Samuel Beckett. There'd be a lot of pauses. Um, You know, he'd be somewhat distant. He wouldn't be overly friendly, but um, I feel like we'd sip, we'd sit and sip coffee and eventually we, we'd get to know each other. Um, But it will take a while with Beckett with Beckett. It will take a while for him to open up.
1: If, uh, if he ever would open up to anybody, you know, Uh, with Rabal, he, I think he is much easier to get to know that way. Um, right. There's a there's a famous photograph of Rabal because you know Havel of course loved Rabal he was Rabal is again very very well known uh, I believe it was who called him America's Americas <laughs> the the Czech, best Czech writer of the 20th century was it the um, Havel called him that or Kundera I think it was Kundera actually um, and so this this palaver this this talk this pub talk. So there's a famous photograph of of, of Rabal and Havel uh, and Bill Clinton sitting in yes. Rabal's favorite yes. pub, the Golden Tiger in prague and and palavering and just kibitzing and just talking and they're all smiling and you can see there's this, this this total looseness about even Clinton says doesn't look like a president it just looks like some dude in the pub you know uh, of course he's wearing a suit which is kind of weird but um Ah yes, the days when U.S. presidents read books. A, yes, or a book, just <laughs> one, just one. Apparently, this new guy doesn't read at all. Um, um. So Roman,
0: I, I'm going to uh, I'm going to be the bearer of bad news, and we've we've kind of r- run our limit here a bit. No. Um, so so kind of, uh, you know, final thoughts. And while you're gathering final thoughts, I'll, I'll sort of point out that. Um, we're getting our act together a bit here at the Feeling Bookish Podcast. And so we, we know the, the next two books that we're going to be looking at. And so maybe we'll just throw them out there for, the, for those who are following along at home. Um, the next book we're going to look at is the Italian writer Giuseppe uh, di Lampedusa and his uh, one and only novel, The Leopard. And you know, this was my recommendation and maybe one of my favorite books of all time. So I'm, I am so excited, Roman, for you to read this book and I've I've never had a conversation with a single human being in my life about this book. <laughs> wow. I I've, I've never met somebody else who's read it. So so I've been holding this one in for years. And then uh following that, we're going to look at um Ursula K. Le Guin. So she lived in Portland here for you know, forever and uh we're going to look at the classic The Left Hand of Darkness. I know you've read it years ago. I've never read it. Um And we're actually going to have a special guest. I think I mentioned, Roman, this is a possibility, but uh, the South African writer, a friend of mine, his name is Heston Hoffman, and he... um,
1: Not uh, Dustin Hoffman? Heston? No, yeah. (laughs) uh, My my
0: connections don't run beyond the Northwest, I have to say. Uh, But yeah, uh, Heston lives here in Portland, and uh, uh, astute reader of science fiction, and he's excited to... uh,
1: He's going to be rereading the
0: book as well. He read it. Uh, wonderful.
1: I'm looking forward to that. But let me just, uh, let me, can I just close, close with Rabal. I have a few quotes here that I think are good closing uh, statements about Rabal. He said at one point that he wanted, I wanted to be a world citizen after death. Uh, He wanted to transcend borders. And I think he's done that. He's, uh, and that's why, partly the reason why we're doing this, this podcast is to encourage folks to read Rabal. Please read this guy. You will enjoy him. You will love him. You will learn. Um, James Wood, a quote from James Wood, about, particularly about this book, not just Rabal, but, but uh, the, you know, I Serve the King of England. It is a comedy of blockage, of displacement, entrapment, and cancellation. So, some closing I love thoughts. James Wood, yeah. Yeah, some, some closing thoughts on that.
0: Okay, well, thank you. Um, again, uh, you can follow Roman at ZenJu on Twitter. I'm uh, at Robert Fay1. And I guess that kind of wraps it up. Um, it's been fun, Roman, as usual. Yeah,
1: yeah. Till next time. Awesome. Cheer you. Okay, so we're <laughs> totally
0: so next up the leopard. Uh, we we move away from Eastern Central Europe.
1: But we're still in Europe.
0: <laughs> we're still in Europe, man. I guess we're we're getting to an we're well, getting to an American quite soon here with with Ursula K. Le Guin. So
1: at some point we'll, we'll also switch gears and, and maybe read something uh, on some other continent. Yeah. Absolutely, man. I, I look
0: I think it begs the question, um, you and I both have a, a soft spot for Japanese literature and, and um, mm-hmm. so maybe you know I, I would push for Mishima personally. I, I know you you like is it Soseki is sort of your man?
1: Soseki is my okay, guy, yeah. We'll,
0: we'll have to uh, we'll have to have some, we'll hash some it out. email change there. Okay, man. Well thanks so much and we'll talk soon. All right, and Thanks cheerio. for
1: listening.